It's good to be back with you and to uh, be able to worship with you. I appreciate the worship here. Appreciate the invitation to return and minister the Lord's word to the Lord's people. So thank you for having me back. Psalm 1 is where we will be this morning. Psalm 1, we've read it. Pray that the Lord will have his way with us as uh, we worship and as we study and as his word is preached and proclaimed this morning. Let's go to him one more time in prayer uh, as we approach uh, our time in his word. Father, we honor you in the preaching of the word of God. We recognize the word for what it is, it is the very voice, the will the living word, the power of you. And we appreciate as we confessed earlier that we have it in our hands and with our fingertips. We pray that it might be in our heads. If we pray that it might be in our hearts, we pray that it might be upon our lips. We pray that it might be applied to our lives. We pray that as we worship and as we study this morning, that it might influence us even more to draw near to it. To let it have its way in our lives, in our families. That we might be controlled by it, dominated by it, filled with it. That you might use this word to minister to us. Not only today, but in the days to come. And not only to us, but to those around us as we seek to be faithful with it. Give us opportunities, we pray. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning as we gather, I want to focus on this particular truth regarding the word of God, its importance and the delight that the people of God should have when it comes to this word. If I were to ask you this morning, describe or define your relationship to the Bible, define and describe your relationship to the word of God, what, what might you say? How might you describe uh, your affection, your love? For God's word. Do you have a connection. A deep abiding connection with this book. Last night as I was laying in bed. I had a completely different. Introduction to the sermon. Because as I was laying there trying to fall asleep. And I was preparing for being with you today. It made me reflect upon my own connection. And my own relationship with the word of God. That I had. When I was 23 years old. And the Lord saved me. My appreciation for this book is high. At times, it's not as high as I wished it was. But when I look back over the early days of my relationship where the Lord had saved me and brought me into a saving faith relationship with Him, I had no connection with this book. Uh, maybe a sentimental view, because it was the book of my mom who was a Christian who loved the Lord and who read it, who studied it, who took me to church, but I had no personal connection with this book, no interest really at all. This book was where I kept my bulletin or where I kept my stars uh, for perfect attendance in Sunday school, or maybe it's where I, I kept my awards from BBS, but it was not the book that kept me afloat in life. It wasn't the book, it wasn't the Word of God that nourished me moment by moment and daily throughout my, my life. But when the Lord saved me, everything changed. I had a, a deep connection with his book. I had a 
love relationship with this book. It was a part of me. It fed me. It led me. It guided me. It ministered to me. And still does. And I believe in its power. I believe in what it can do. I was even this morning as I was reading in my personal time with the Lord. I was in John chapter 8. You don't have to turn there. This is just a side note. But I hear even from the ministry and the teaching of Jesus the importance of the word in the life of his people. Jesus said there in John chapter 8 to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you're truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. He said again in verse 37, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because what my word has no place in you. Again, in verse 43, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Verse 47, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And then in verse 52, he repeats it. The Jews said to Jesus, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. So even in that little passage of Scripture, we find Jesus showing the importance, the role that the word of God should have in the lives of his people. It doesn't really describe the life of the wicked, the wife of the life of the lost, the life of the unconverted. It speaks of the life of those whose faith and trust is in the living God through Christ. And so as we turn to Psalm 1 and we spend some time looking at these verses, this is what I want to do. I want to draw your attention to what the psalmist is drawing our attention to here. Really by saying the one main characteristic that he points out for us of how a believer How a person who loves God and is in Christ, what is it that will describe him? It's this, verse 2, that their delight will be in the law of the Lord. And in that law, they will meditate day and night. That's the description that he gives of the people of God. They will delight in his law, delight in his truth, delight in his word, delight in the precepts of God. And in that law, they will meditate day and night. I'm reminded again and again when I open this book, and sometimes it's easy to forget that this is how God communicates to his people. Through the spirit who abides in us, using the word of God to come along and to speak and to minister and to teach and to guide and to convict and to rebuke and to correct. It has a marvelous ministry in our lives. And so I echo the words of the great reformer Martin Luther, let the man who would hear God speak. Read Holy Scripture. What great encouragement that is for us today. But the the dilemma that we're facing is this. We often don't delight in it. I was encouraged again by the confession that we read earlier that reminds us of that very truth. How often we, we get caught up in busyness. How often we get caught up in other things and we don't delight in it as we should. But the scripture here in Psalm 1-2 lets us know that the main characteristic of the lover of God is that they take delight in the word of God. 
And that's the dilemma that we face is that our passion, our delight for the word oftentimes ebbs and flows. It's greater at times and lesser at times. But it is the distinguishing characteristic of the elect. And he's going to tell us as we look at it this morning that this is really what separates us, the life of the believer from the life of the unbeliever, from the righteous, from the wicked, is our appreciation, our evaluation, our estimation of the Word of God and our need to delight in it. And what a great way for the psalmist to open up this great book for us than to remind us of how we might experience the blessed life. And that is that we might delight in the word of God. And that is what he is talking about. Very, the very first verse. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Nor stand in the path of sinners. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. He's going to talk about the blessed life. He's going to talk about, uh, uh, the, again, that contrast between the blessed life and the cursed life. He's going to teach us about the state of blessedness. Happiness, if you will, not based on circumstances, not based on people, but based upon God and the internal contentment that he provides in our souls in grace. It's an internal joy produced not by things and not by people, but by God himself, a state of blessedness. How blessed is the man who does not do certain things. Verse one, but verse two, his delight is in the law of the Lord. So let's do this. Let's walk through this psalm. Let's walk through these short six verses. Let's see what the psalmist has to say to us. And then we'll make some closing application in regards to the dilemma that we face, because that's really what's most upon my heart as I think about this, is I know the own struggle that I have in my own life in regards to to moments where I don't love the word as I should, where I'm not as passionate or on fire for God's word as I should. What, what do I need to remember? What do I need to do to help spur me on? To help encourage me on? To continue to dig deep and be in this word. Let's get God's perspective. Number one. The blessed life. Is first described. Their lives are described. Verses one through two. The truly blessed person is recognized. And known and identified first negatively. By what they do not do. And we we. We read it earlier. They do not stand in or they don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. They don't stand in the path of sinners and they don't sit in the seat of scoffers. The first thing we see is this downward progression. First, they are walking in the counsel of the wicked. That's not what those who delight in the word of God do. They don't get their counsel from the wicked. This doesn't mean that we can't go to those who don't know the Lord. And get advice for them about maybe something at work or a situation that they might be in. What it refers to is the fact that we need to understand that they don't have that godly perspective that's needed. The moral compass that's, that's been given to all in the person of the Holy Spirit. They, they lack that. And so we're not going to the unsaved to figure out questions about life and eternity. About God and morality. That is where we go to the counsel of the righteous. That's where we go to those who know the word of God, to other believers, to pastors. We don't go to the world to get their philosophies or their viewpoints because it's skewed and it's missing God's truth. They don't stand in the path of sinners. They're not known to hang around and enjoy the things that sinners do. 
their ways, their lifestyle. There's not a preference for the path that the wicked is on. And they most definitely, lastly, do not sit in the seat of scoffers. They don't scoff at truth. They don't scoff at righteous things. They don't scoff at the word of God. They love it and they appreciate it, not mock it and ridicule it. So first, they're known by what they don't do. But secondly, the truly blessed person, the truly blessed life is recognizable and known and identified by what they do do. It's positive. And what is it? Verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. Now we see the contrast. First, they are not known for this, but they are known for that. And what is that? But a delight a happiness, a joy, a desire, a wish, a matter of interest, a business or a pursuit. It's their delight. In the word of God, it marks us. It's what should be true of everyone who is in Christ. To the lost, it's foolishness, is it not? First Corinthians reminds us of that, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's what? It's the power of God. It's the power of God. It has a whole glorious view before our eyes and our hearts placed there by God himself. Notice how he defines this prosperity of those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate upon it day and night. Verse three, he describes it so wonderfully. Verse three, he'll be like a tree. The person who delights in the law of the Lord and and the person who meditates on it and the person who's not known to to walk and to sit and to scoff will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. So the psalmist begins to define for us this prosperity and what he means by this blessed life. The word that's used there actually refers to uh, a tree being firmly transplanted. It's it's the idea of, of God himself taking his people when he redeems them, when their faith is in his son and he places them by waters where they will draw all of the nutrients that they need. So that their leaves in times of drought, in times of heat, when the rain doesn't fall, When the heat is just burning down upon it, they have a a secret spiritual resource that they have access to. Speaks of the sovereign care of our holy God who would love us and, and, and give us all that we need in order to be all that he wants us to be in his son. He will transplant us right where we need to be to gain all of the rich resources to help us flourish, to help us grow. We've had a lot of wind and rain lately. The last time we had a lot of wind and rain, I remember uh, my in-laws had some trees, some big, tall trees that were scattered along the side of the road uh, to block sound and, and, and to kind of hide them from the road. And a big storm came through and blew these massive trees over. And so we went over there to help them. And what I was so struck by as I looked at the size of these trees, taller probably than from here for the the floor to the ceiling, these massive trees that lined and, and the wind that had just kind of toppled them like, like dominoes was how shallow the root system was. The roots, and you could see every bit of the roots within this tree, just basically there on the surface. And they were so shallow that we were even able to, 
tie a rope and a, pull it with the truck and get those trees pulled back up. But it made me think about a passage like this. Where God says he is going to take his people and he is going to place them by the spiritual resources that they need. Not so that they'll have weak, shallow roots, but deep roots. Deep roots so that when the wind and the rain falls, we might continue to be strong as he would have us to be. Deep roots that go deep into the soil. This is the blessing of the word of God and the life of the believer firmly transplanted, firmly planted by God, by the streams of water, which yields its season and its leaf doesn't wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. God's word is a blessed spiritual resource that exposes us to him. It exposes us to divine truth. It exposes us to the glories of Christ. Second Corinthians talks about that, that as we behold the glory of Christ as in a mirror, as we as we see Christ, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, as we see him on the, the cross, as we see him raised from the dead, as we see him interacting with with sinners and saints, as we see him for who he is, we don't always understand it. There's a glory there. In God's Son. That we behold it. And what does Paul say that it does? It transforms us from one level of glory to the next, to the next, to the next. There is spiritual power in this book. And I remember that. Oh, I remember that. I remember uh, the passionate love relationship that I had with the Lord and His Word. And I remember the very first time. That I was reading God's word as a newborn baby. And I realized this book is exactly what Hebrews 4 says it is. It is living and it is powerful. I was just reading Luke chapter 14 where Jesus was talking about counting the cost. Do you remember that passage? That if you go out into battle, count the cost before you do. If you're going to build something, count the cost before you do. And Jesus is unpacking and developing that. And as... I read there, sat there reading that. I remember stopping and almost like backing away from it like, oh my. This is how the Lord communicates. This is how he speaks to our lives and to our hearts and guides us. Indeed, what Jesus said in John 6.63 rings true. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit And they are life. Again, the contrast, verse 4, the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. And they won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He announces their future. He lets us know those who don't delight in God's word. Those whose roots are not deep and transplanted sovereignly by God to receive blessing and care. This is the life apart from God, the expectation of the wicked. They're like chaff. In the agricultural world, when they would take the harvest and they would throw it up, the chaff was so worthless and light that the wind would just carry it and blow it away and that which was of value would fall 
And this is how the psalmist describes the wicked. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. No substance at all. One commentator even put it intrinsically worthless. What a way to describe the lost, the unconverted. But he says they won't have a leg to stand on. Verse 5, in the judgment, they'll have no place in the assembly with God's people. But then he closes and says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I said all that to say that the truly blessed life is the life that takes delight in the word of God. It's the business of the believer to take delight in this book. And to meditate upon it day and night. But we have a huge problem, don't we? If we were to evaluate and judge our hearts right now, what is our current mood towards the Word of God? Are we passionate about it? Are we feeding off of it? I pray we are. But because I know my own heart, and I know the hearts of Christians who have approached me time and time again about a heart that's not beating as Intensely and passionately as they wish it was to the word of God. I know it is something that God's people struggle with. I would love to take you through the psalm. Psalm 119. And just listen to David's passionate love relationship. His description of how much he loves God's law. How much he he appreciates God's word. And it's everything to him. Read Psalm 119 this week. Meditate upon it. It's something that should be true of us. But as we come to this passage and as we think of what our hearts should be, and you're saying to yourself, but I'm not there yet. There's a, there's a, a massive dilemma. You're telling me I need to delight in something. But right now, I don't delight in it. So what do I do? Isn't it interesting that sometimes when the Bible commands us to do certain things, it doesn't necessarily tell us how to do that thing. It just speaks of it as if it's true and it and it should be true. And it is true. Delight in the law of the Lord and in that law, meditate day and night. But it doesn't say this is seven ways that you can learn to delight in the law of God, does it? But the word of God isn't silent on the matter of what we can do to engage ourselves So that it might have its proper place in our lives. You tell your children. You need to eat those vegetables right? They don't delight in them. They don't want it. They don't want to touch it with your fork. Or anybody else's fork. It would be like you telling them. It's it's, it's good for you. You'll love it. What do we do. When our hearts are in that condition. How do we cultivate delight. It's no different than. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that easy? Isn't that so easy? No. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 48 says, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Psalm 112, 1, Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in His commandments. Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. We have the word of God. So now let's quickly turn to some application of how we might, 
how we need to think in regards to this if we struggle with the dilemma of delight. Number one, and they're all going to start with the letter R just to make it easy. What do we do? Number one, beginning point, we can't go any further than this for right now, regeneration. Regeneration. Only born again people delight in the word of God. Only those who have put their faith and trust in Christ and whose lives have been reborn have this experience because the Holy Spirit moves in. He takes up residence in our lives. And with that brings a new nature with new taste buds, with new appetites, with new longings that we didn't have before. What a blessing that is. Holy desires, holy cravings. But Jesus would say in Matthew 5 of those, blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Being regenerated, being born again, brings you into this transformed way of life where you can now begin to see and to savor and to hunger and to delight in God's word. John 10, Jesus says, the sheep hear my voice. They hear my voice and I have other sheep which are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. It is the distinguishing mark of born again believers to hear his voice through his word. His word opens up all of our spiritual faculties so that we can see and understand and be enabled to know his word. I was reading this week again and I was blown away that this is kind of in a way a part of the new covenant. When you think of Hebrews 9 where it's mentioned in Jeremiah 31, 31, God says he will put his law in their minds and write it upon their hearts. There's this there's this work that God does in us to enable us to desire this, to want this. So regeneration is where it starts. It's where it starts. Renewal. Now you're redeemed. Now you're in Christ. Now you have been justified. Your sins have been forgiven. You have the Holy Spirit. Renewal. Second step to focus upon when our hearts are weak for the Word of God. We've got to have our minds washed. Is it not easy to have everything wash over our minds except the Word of God these days? We have more electronics and more provisions to make life simpler and easier. And we are busier than ever. Our work fills our mind. Our families fill our mind. Our hobbies fill our mind. Our vegging out fills our mind often with things that don't renew it. But the word of God reminds us that we need to be influenced we need to have our minds washed by the word. And according to Psalm 1-2, it's something that is to have a constant influence day in, day out, morning and night. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 reminds us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of our minds. To let God's word be in us in such a way that we begin to think like God, think after God, that the way we once thought and believed is different now because we have God's word in us and God's spirit to guide us. 
working in tandem. Ephesians 4.23 reminds us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Beloved, this is how we, how we develop again that hunger and that passion. We get into the Word and we let it do its work in us. And just like eating that broccoli or those Brussels sprouts that our children just do not like to eat, we also know that it provides great nourishment to their bodies to help them grow and to help them develop. And there will be times when you will be seeking the delight and it's only going to feel like duty. It's only going to feel like responsibility. You keep pressing on. You keep getting before this word. You let it have its transformative effect and renewing effect in your life. And you will begin once again to delight in it. To crave it. If you are in Christ. I think often how my own taste buds have changed. Things I would not touch as a child I now find great delight in. A lot changes as you give yourself to certain things. Paul says in Colossians 3 to let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Thirdly, repentance. You've got to be regenerated. You've got to have the spirit of God who, who brings the new nature. You've, you've, you've got to have him. It's priority. You've got to have mind renewal. There's also repentance. There's sin in our life often that Hinders us from delighting in the word of God as we should. There's some laying aside and some taking up that needs to take place. Do you have sin in your life right now that you're cherishing? You have sin right now in your life that you're nursing. Those might be, that might be the very thing that's keeping you from appreciating the word of God as you desire. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. In reference to your former manner of life. That, that's, that's the old you. That's the old me. That's who we were before we were in Christ. That former manner of life. Lay aside the old self. The old Daniel. The old you. Cast it off. Lay it aside. Which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you be, here it is again, renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. There is often things in our lives that need to be extracted. So that we might delight in the word of God. We read this morning, first Peter two, one and two, again, a casting off, a laying aside, a putting aside of all, he says, malice, general wickedness. All deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Get it out of your life. Pinpoint what it is. Confess it and turn from it. And then, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word. Long for the pure milk of the Word. Repentance serves as a palate cleanser. You ever tried certain foods? And you needed to have your palate cleansed. Or you go somewhere to buy perfume. And they give you, a, I believe, a can of coffee beans to kind of get that old smell out of there. So that you can take on new smells or new taste if you're eating food. 
Repentance serves as a spiritual palate cleanser to enable us to see it, to delight in it. James says it again in James 1.21, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Fourthly, response. Response. This is a theological action, a practical action that will energize and activate the Christian's palate for the word of God. It was mentioned this morning from James. Let's be doers of the word. Not hearers only. Let's not deceive ourselves. Let's let's let the truth that we hear affect us even today. Begin new habits. Holy habits of, of getting alone with God. And delighting in his word. And doing what it says. So important. It's an often neglected aspect of the Christian life. We love to hear it preached. We love to study it. We love to hear it in songs. We love to talk about the gospel. We just don't like being nice to that person that's mean and hateful to us and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Man, that's hard. But the word of God encourages us to do that. Encourages us. Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed, Jesus says, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And keep it. John 5, 3. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Fifthly. This is a good one. Just rest. Rest. Rest when you think of the fact that even when you don't delight in his word, that if you are in Christ, because of Christ, God delights in you. God delights in the real you. The real you that hasn't read his word all week. Who hasn't prayed as passionately as you needed to. Who's kept their mouth silent when they needed to share the gospel. You mean to tell me that God still loves me on my worst day as a Christian? Yeah. His love for you is not fickle. Rest in that. That he delights in you even when you don't delight in him or his word. That because of Jesus, because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, because of his holiness, his life of righteousness put to your account, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Which is in Christ Jesus. Not even not delighting in his word today. Here's a simple one. Two more quickly. Request. How about you just ask the Lord. Lord give me a. Give me a return of passionate delight for your word again. Say it as the psalmist. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. You know it's the Lord's will to give it to you. Ask him. We can't end on a number like six, so let's give you one more, seven. It's a holy number, right? Easy. Read. Just read it. If all you can give the Lord right now is five minutes, give him five minutes. And you know what will happen? You'll find yourself five minutes is not enough. You need ten. Give him ten. Spend time with the Lord and you know what will happen? Ten minutes won't be enough. You'll need twenty. 
That's a good spot to be when that desire to be with the Lord continues to grow and grow and grow. And then it begins to block out all the other lesser things in our lives that are not important anymore. We find ourselves delighting in his word day and night. It begins with simple reading. And I close with the prophet Jeremiah. Where he says, your words were found. And I ate them. And your words became for me a joy. And the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we could have in our hands the authoritative and the inspired word of God. That we're not left without witness. We have your spirit within us. We have your spirit among us because this is your church. This is your bride. And we have your word. To be preached. To be read. Memorized. Taught. Studied. God forgive me. For my spiritual laziness at times. When I think back over my own Christian life and. How. Times have been marked with times where I didn't delight in the word of God as I should. Forgive me. Help me to continue strong to abide in your words and for your words to abide in me. Let me see the glories of your son. That my life be made to look like his in this world. Until I see you face to face. Until we see you face to face. Father, I know here the sound of my voice, there are people here who may not know you. I pray that you might create in them spiritual life where they can understand these things truly and taste and see that the Lord is good. And I also know that there are born-again believers here who love the Lord Jesus Christ with every ounce of their being. Maybe they're not as passionate for the Word of God as they should to read it, to study it, to love it and delight in it. May you accomplish that work in them this morning. And may it make us stronger, more faithful, more practically holy people for your sake. And for your glory we pray. In the name of your son we ask it. Amen.